0: Genesis 43, 1 through 15, 14, and then I'm going to uh, flip a chapter and read from uh, chapter 45, 1 through 15. The All three of these chapters, both 43, 44, and 45, all deal with Joseph in Egypt as his brothers come because of the famine to seek grain there. They've already been there once. This is the second occasion when he finally tells them who he is, and he identifies himself. He talks about the larger situation. He interprets the whole fantastic adventure that they've been on through the Lord and his providence. So let us turn to 43, read the first 14 verses there, and then we'll skip over to chapter 45. Beginning to read with chapter 43. 1. Now the famine was severe in the land, And it came to pass, when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down; for the man said to us, "You shall not see my face again until your brother is with you." and then Israel said, "Why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you still whether you had still another brother?" But they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, if your family, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words. Could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. And if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned the second time. And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may release your brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And then to skip to chapter 45, the first 15 verses there. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood before him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So, no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud, and the Egyptians of the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, "I am Joseph; does my father still live?" But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. and Joseph said to his brothers, "Please come near to me." So they came near. Then he said, "I am Joseph." your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father, and say to him, Thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt, and come down to me. Do not let tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and your ears I'm sorry, and behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin shall see it is my mouth that declares to you. So you shall tell my father of all the glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers. And wept over them, and after that, his brothers talked with him. may the lord 's word be blessed, according to our reading. You have a an outline a four point outline of the sermon down below. follow and take some notes around or in the margins but uh, we 've been we 've been focusing on the family and the the edifying information and revelation that God has for our families in this day. It's uh, so amazing that God can give us so much information, so much encouragement to our families based upon the word of God from so many centuries ago, even millennia ago. And so we see it here in this three chap- these three chapters, which conclude this um, story of Joseph and how God saved Israel through Joseph, and how he uh, this instead of being this famine being the end of Israel, how it was really the springboard which established Israel as a mighty nation, and so uh, we've come to this place where we we see this um, in v- uh, vital colors before us, and that's what I wanted to focus on this morning because. I want you to think about your family. I don't know of a a family in the church, in our church here. I don't know of a single family that has not suffered uh, some very great trials and tribulations. And some of you are still going through some right now. You're aware of God's providence, and you're aware that God has brought these things to your hand, into your life. What do you make of that then? Do you understand you see the kindness of God in the harsh providences that He has brought upon you? That's what I want to really drive home to you. I want I want you to take the, the life of Joseph and let let this let the, the imprint of God's intent and God's kindness be driven into your heart so that you will not doubt God's kindness, even if you think that you are about to um uh, go to your death whether it's a tribulation here or a tribulation to come that you'll have a great confidence in the lord uh, because as we look at this passage we we see so much of this made plain in the life of joseph and uh, hopefully we learn we get you know the the abc's are the basis of our uh, basis of our alphabet and our vocabulary and through knowing the abc's you can make up words and formulate words and learn words and that sort of thing and so it is with some of these basic doctrines of the scriptures and the doctrine of providence is so important the the doctrine of your confidence in the face of providence is so important that without it, you you will be tossed to and fro and on upon the seas um, of of God's providences here in this world. If you understand them in that light, and so let us turn to this uh, text and and look and appreciate it all the more. The first the first point is that God's pro- God's providence drives us through pain and anguish. We I think all of us pray in our lives. Oh God, take me from a high place to a high place. Take me from smooth place to smooth place. Protect me from the troubles of this world, from sicknesses and struggles and wars and strife and all kinds of things like that. But as we turn to the Bible, we see that time and time again, God uses the harsh providences of our lives, whether it's cancer or war or some other a debilitating problem like selling your brother into slavery in Egypt God uses these, these harsh things now what's intriguing about chapter 43 as we begin is that the, the brothers have already been to Egypt once, they know that there's food down there, but they had a hard time with this guy that Pharaoh had working for him <laughs> the, uh, the administrator the that God God had established as Pharaoh's um, uh, foreign minister or uh, principal minister. They don't know it's Joseph. Joseph recognized them right away, but they don't know that it's Joseph. And he gave them kind of a hard time. He probably was thinking back to being sold into slavery by them, and he he wanted to discern their hearts. And so he was giving them a hard time, and he, he told them that he wanted them to bring back the brother that they had not brought on the first trip, that he wanted them to bring this brother back. Well, why was that? Well, because Benjamin was uh, a especially a close kind. Remember the, f- the four wives of of Jacob, um, uh, Leah and uh, 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 the the maids. Uh, uh, I, I forget I forget them all, but you know the and then they, they had a four, four sets of children that came from these wives. Well, uh, the, uh, J- uh, J- Joseph's, Joseph's mother was also the mother of Benjamin. And so this was his only blood brother that came from both his, uh, his father and his mother. Um, and, um, and so he was, he was naturally interested in seeing this brother Benjamin. And so he he call, he told them to bring back Benjamin and not to show their faces again before him unless they had that brother with them. So they, it's it's a famine, and they've been they've been their their supplies were dwindling. They were getting ever closer to not being there at all. And uh, but they have not come back to Egypt. Why? Because they're afraid. His the father said that he didn't want Benjamin to go back with them and and uh, they, uh, they, they rehearsed that again for the father at the, on this occasion. But you notice in the very first verse that the, 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 uh, the causal agent or the, the, um, the wire that's tripped in a sense to bring about all this the last developments of the story is the fact that uh, God had not relieved them of the famine, that the famine was so great that even though they had these fears and these reluctances, they were hanging back. And so verse 40 or verse chapter one says, "Now the famine was severe in the land and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father told them, "Go back and buy us a little food." Well, the brothers, the brothers all know what this means. They have faced the, the, um, the formidable, formidable presence of Joseph, this, this prime minister type of person. Who was totally in charge of the relief of the nation? <coughs> they faced him once, and he had accused them of different things. And uh, he had sent them he had sent them back home. And when they were well upon their journey, they opened up the, one of the bags, and they found out that the money that they had paid for the first uh, for the first grain that money was in the mouth of the bag. They went hurriedly and opened up the other bags. They found that all the rest of the money was in the bags also. And so now they were now they were totally terrified. What what can we do? And um, if they had been if they had, had any other resource, any other possibility, they would have stayed away from Egypt for a longer time, but this this famine was even more severe. God had taken away all of the opportunities that they might have to avoid going back to Egypt. And so they were virtually at the point of starvation again. Now this is a a great lesson for us because we uh God often drives us with the same kinds of providences in our lives. God knows the uh, despite humans, human humanity's optimism about the shallowness of their sin and the the small degree of the effect of sin upon their lives, God knows these things. And God, God, in order to teach us spiritual lessons, God wants wants us to to suffer deprivation because he knows that when we suffer deprivation, that will get our attention. We'll stop playing games with him. We'll stop lying to him in our own minds. And, And so on this occasion... There was no substitution for going back to Egypt, and so God forces their hand. And so, if you in your life find yourself in such a situation where you can't find relief, you've done all that you can. Most of us are fairly responsible people. We're much more responsible than the run-of-the-mill people out there in the world today. We know that we know what it means to have to earn your own private property and to not just take from other people. And so we tend to, if anybody is going to survive on their own resources, it's people like us. So with us, it takes a special kind of providence for God to get our attention, like in this case we see here. And so that's what God did. Now, in this case, we think of this whole, these, the whole of these events, from the time that the brothers, from the time that Joseph came, his father Jacob had sent him to his older brothers. Remember way back and joseph went there and he he told this tale of how he had dreamed a dream that his brothers even his parents even his his parents would bow down to him and his brothers just couldn't stomach it they they already didn't like the fact that their father they could see that their father favored joseph in his youth and they 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 just could not take this dream that he had and um uh, he, Joseph, or Jacob himself was bothered by it to some degree, but Jacob had the benefit of uh, of many more decades of theology in his head, and so even though he rebuked Joseph for this dream a little bit, the Bible says he pondered it. He pondered what this dream meant because he he realized that God could speak to his people through the providence of his dreams, and so going way back, then we we uh, what has God been doing? Well. We see the immediate famine, but we see the other things through which God drove Joseph and his brothers. We see see Joseph's trauma in this. But think of this from Joseph's perspective. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. We've already talked about that. But, But it's so easily passed over, and we forget the trauma of it. How would you like to be sold by your own kith and kin, your own blood relatives, sold into a kind of slavery? There are families today who have sold their daughters into sexual slavery, uh, human trafficking. There are poor people who don't have much money and they're worried about themselves and they've taken their own dear children and sold them to strangers to be used in whatever horrible ways they might be used. That's going on in today's world. Even as we pray and talk about how little we need Christ in this day, we are being debauched and reduced in terms of our humanism Uh, to one embarrassment, one degradation, one level of degradation after another. And so that was Joseph's lot. He had been reduced, and God's providence to him had been most severe. Uh, he was when this happened he was all alone think of uh, all the children in the congregation this morning <clears throat> just think of that how would you like to be separated from your family and sold off like this and uh, you can as you leave you can see your family back there in the distance and your own brother sold you and now you're off with some strangers and you don't know if you'll ever be seen again you don't know whether you live or whether you die. This was Joseph's lot. And Joseph then was uh, was bought by Potiphar. He ended up going to prison because of his righteousness with Potiphar's wife. He's in prison again, wondering what will become of me? All of these negative providences in his life. And, and God was not uh, immediately delivering him. We think of Uh, We think of Jacob's trauma, the father. Throughout this story, all in the background, we have the father's trauma. He had been told that Joseph had been uh, killed by wild animals. And so this child of his, uh, this this child of his, his uh, his dear child from his dearly beloved wife, he he thought had, had been destroyed. And he was living with that. He was living with a trauma of, of losing a child, not knowing the truth about it, but, but uh, the trauma of having lost this child and, uh, and he, when, when he's challenged with sending another child, Benjamin down there, he can hardly he, can, he tells the boys, he says, "If you lose this child, it will be my death." What little strength I have left will be completely taken away from me. So you see the kind of trauma, the psychological trauma that Jacob was going through, and uh, and through this incident with his brothers, we see some of that which the brothers were going through. As soon as as soon as they uh, are are in these harsh circumstances in Egypt, they begin uh, uh, remonstrating with each other exhorting each other. What did they say? They say it's because we mistreated our brother that God has brought these things upon us. These fears of theirs, this guilt of theirs was ever upon their minds and the Holy Spirit was bringing it to pass upon them. So the, 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 uh, the, this whole family was in a terrible trauma in a dozen different ways over what had happened uh, to them or what had happened through their own deviousness in their own wickedness. Now the second point of the sermon is this, that, uh, well, uh, let me just summarize quickly the first point. God actually uses such terrible things. We like to think of negative providences as something that's slight, that depresses us for a day. Well, here are people that were depressed for a decade based upon what had happened. The second point is, uh, that God slowly makes his providence clear. God does not always clarify these things in our lives. Have you been suffering for a day or a week or a year or some years or a decade yourself? Well, then you you are not uh unbiblical in the sense that this has never happened to anybody in the Bible. This has happened to God's own dear family, the family of Jacob, one of the patriarchs. And God did not make these things clear quickly. In verse thirty of the of the middle chapter that we didn't read, we see that um, we see that um, what it says. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since this is Jacob speaking, the father, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen. When he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain. This is he's he's talking here to Pharaoh or to, to Joseph, his brother, um this is J- Judah, he's talking to uh jake or jo- uh, joseph his his brother who he doesn't know as joseph yet but he's telling him about the, how how they've just reached the end of the line they cannot because he's telling them he wants them to go back or he he wants to at this point he is has, he's has put the his own personal cup in in benjamin's bag and then they, that's been discovered and he's holding the brothers accountable for that and so He's, he's, he's telling them what he's going to do to them and what, uh, what how they're going to suffer. And so this is Judah's uh, plea with Joseph. He says, uh, if, I, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the, the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad. So this is Judah saying, keep me and not Benjamin. and uh, uh, as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go with his brothers back to his father for how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father now you see how uh, you see how God has sustained this negative providence unto the last moment and we, from this whole story we don't know It's it's very tentative or unclear how much Joseph knew. He was a, he was a prophet of God. The Spirit of God revealed certain things to Joseph, but it does not seem that he revealed the whole of it to Joseph. He did not reveal to Joseph when the brothers were in the court. He didn't reveal to Joseph that his brothers were almost there. And so he he discovered it by his own apprehension as they stood before him. And uh, God did not, evidently did not tell him how long they were going to be there or what the end of this was. He changes his mind a couple times through the story, he tells him he's going to do one thing, then he does another. Because Joseph himself is kind of feeling his way through this situation. He wants to bring good out of it. He wants his brothers to repent. He wants to see his father again, of course. He wants to see Benjamin again. But now they brought Benjamin down, and he's giving them a hard time. And now he's threatening to keep Benjamin there uh, with him while they go and get the father. And, the, and Judah, uh, Judah is talking to. He's pleading with Joseph, who he doesn't know is Joseph. He's pleading with Joseph, keep me as your slave. Let let uh, let my other brother go. Let my let my. Um, let the Benjamin go, keep me, and uh, then my family will do what they're going to do or what they can do. But it's at that point, after all of this has taken place, finally, that uh, that Joseph is brought to the end of his resources. And it says in the first verse of chapter 45, then Joseph could not could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go. He cleared the court. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And uh, when they cleared the court, he just was wrought asunder with weeping. All of the anguish of his life, the separation from his family, the, the not seeing his father for all these years, not seeing his brother Benjamin for all, it all just came out and he he basically, basically collapsed in weeping. He finally, uh, God, uh, God slowly uh, made his providences uh, clear in this, but it, it was not before he was tested right to the extremity of his life. And when he, when he does make it clear, we see verse chapter 45 then, where jo- Joseph explains with some of the greatest clarity of the whole of the scripture how negative providences work. In verse 3 Joseph said to his brothers he tells them he's cry, he's weeping before there was he why is the prime minister crying he says he says to them I am Joseph They didn't even know that he knew Joseph's name Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brother, they couldn't talk. They were so overwhelmed with the emotions of the moment. The fact that now this man was saying that he was Joseph, the brother they thought was dead. And Joseph said to his brother brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph can see the the beginning from the end of this. He can see through all the, the mirage of the circumstances of what happened, and he can see God's purpose behind the suffering behind the negative providences. And he said in verse 7, And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. A great deliverance that we know is a picture of Christ and his salvation of us. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. Now that's an interpretation of things, isn't it? It was not you who sent me. Of course it was them who sent him. They they were the ones who sold him into slavery. But here Joseph is understanding that there is a cause behind all the proximate causes of our lives. And that ultimate cause is the living God. That God is ultimately the one that raises up people and sets them down, the Bible says. God's rule, God rules among the the heavenly host and amongst all of the inhabitants of the earth, the Bible says. God does whatsoever He pleases. Now He works through second causes. He works through our decisions. He works through our, our anger, our perplex, perplexity, our depressions, our euphoria. He works through all of these things. It doesn't mean that, that these things move Him. He moves us, but he moves us through all of the all of these basic ways that we live and think and have our being. And so <clears throat> uh, finally, Joseph sees it all clearly, and I we don't know uh, how much of this. God could have revealed some of this to him before, probably did, but but the Bible doesn't tell us when these things became clear for Joseph. But now he finally. Uh, discovers them for his brothers and uh and tells them about it and um, joseph in this and this on this occasion became a great prophet for his family. He began to declare things that have hardly been understood since the creation of Adam and Eve to the sons of men, and they were great things, and it had to do with the fact that uh, that God is the God of all providence. He's the God of all things that happen upon this earth, and He He has an ultimate purpose for these things. In this case, it was to save Israel from their uh, from their uh, famine and from their complete uh, devastation. And and uh, Joseph understands that even their sin was. was was held in God's hand and and was ordered by God in a certain way. It doesn't excuse them of their sin, but it shows that God is, his wisdom is of such that he can even work with the wickedness of our lives without it ruining his plans or or ruining uh, our lives even. And so if there's ever a lesson for us to learn about why we can depend upon the Lord it ought to be in this fantastic story of joseph and uh, and his family and so uh, in application of this to our lives I just wanted us to see or ask ourselves why do we worry about the things of our lives um, you know in my family susan's been had this hypothyroid condition or situation for seven years or more now it's defected our lives in many ways I, 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 it's, it's taken away uh, my ability to be as active as I once was uh, I just can't do the things that I once did I, it, it bothers me, I worry about the church I just have not been able to do the things that I would like to do it, it, just, it has to do with the complexity of people you, when you start dealing with people then they, they they have needs, and then you—it's just one thing leads to another, and before you know it, you're in—you know—totally over your head. And we used to, even when we, I remember back eight years ago or so, we were some of the newer people don't know, but we were dealing with street people bringing in people that were homeless into the church, and they were sitting here week after week, and them they all had problems though, and none of them panned out in the end. But uh, this, is, this is where God has led us. And I, I, I worry about those things, but can I really worry about them in the sense that I think that this church will founder or fail because of the lack of my power? <laughs> it's laughable! The God of the whole creation rules and will do whatever he wills amongst the host of heaven and amongst the inhabitants of the earth. <laughs> when I was a Presbytery, Uh, This uh, OPC Presbytery Friday night, I met uh, one of my favorite missionaries. He's a missionary to Japan, Woody Lauer, who we knew for years, uh, was uh, working in Japan. He and his wife Lori and their children, they had a really big family. And the boys were very active and sometimes in their itinerating around the church, people would be off quick because they, the boys were so active. There were so many of them. You know, it was, looked like chaos had descended upon them with this missionary visiting their church. And they came to our church in Lynchburg, Virginia, and we had this wild dog that would chase a tennis ball as long as you threw it, and the the boys were fascinated by that. And they they were just fascinated with our huge house there. We had this city mansion, almost bankrupted us, but uh, it was a good idea when it started. Uh, and that too was part of God's providence, and uh, but the boys they have remembered that visit because Woody and Laurie told told me again, you know that you are one of the favorite our favorite people in the OPC because uh, the boys will never forget that visit to your house in Lynchburg, Virginia, and uh, the the experience that they had there with you and your dogs and that sort of thing. Well, uh, Woody's. Uh, Woody's son Stephen was uh, uh, a was ordained finally. Stephen he was ordained. He became a pastor over in Wilmington, uh, the place where Doctor Clawson has been filling in and the pulpit over there. And uh, things did not work out there between Stephen and the church finally, and so they decided to go their separate ways. <coughs> um, Stephen. Uh, took up, because things were tight, like the famine in Egypt, things were tight, he decided to take a a temporary call to a church out in St. Louis, Missouri. And even though they had not called him, he thought he would go and serve there for three months or six months, however long it would take. And uh, well, lo and behold, that worked out for good. And they they ended up calling him, and they moved him, so over a year ago, they moved him into the manse there, out know, in St. Louis. In the meantime, though, they didn't know that in the basement of the manse, there was some rather toxic mold growing. And so they lived there in the manse for six months, a year, and they began to get sick, especially Mrs. Laurie, uh, Mrs. Uh, uh, Lauer, and uh, their, their one son, he's 14 or 15 now, I think. And, uh, and this, this mold got into them so much that it, uh, it begin, when molds get into your system, they can begin to give off toxins within your system and that then poison you. And so in my talking to Woody, and then I called Stephen. I used to talk to Stephen when he was over here in Wilmington. And uh, I was an older pastor, and he called me up and asked me pastoral questions about the church, things that were going, things that he had questions about. It was a nice relationship, so I had a natural concern for him. Uh, but in talking to them now at this point, I, f- I find out that uh, they they finally got to a doctor who understands this, but it's going to take uh, at least a year for Mrs. Lauer, Lori, to get over, to get b- beyond the toxicity of these molds. They've had to move out of the manse. The church is now going to, has established them a a rental, I believe it is, where they're free of this stuff, but they they have it within their systems now. And their oldest boy has really been bothered by it. He's going to lose a whole year of school because he just, he's so weak and he's been so enfeebled by this mold. Now here's a, a family, a blessed blessed children of a missionary family, who were in so many ways were doing the will of the Lord in a precious and, and uh, important way in Japan, who now is called to the ministry himself and trying to, trying to get out of that ministry, and God lays them down in this severe way where they can't immediately get over the toxicity of these molds. They finally found out what it was. They found out why they were sick but why does god do this why does god work with us in these strange and intricate ways where he will not deliver us immediately or quickly from his providences his negative providences and we have to we have to go back to this text and we say well god has his reasons they're always good and when we had our terrible accident in 1990 in, uh, in mid-Virginia when the van plunged, plunged down this long recline and two of the children were killed, I I, I was just torn apart. But I, I had no confusion over the fact that God had brought this upon me and that God would use it in my life for strength and for goodness. And so some of the passion with which I preach today was wrought out in, the, in the, the furnace of affliction of that day, the, the suicide of our son Carl, God uses these things. He, he takes us, He almost crushes us sometimes. And yet, out of that furnace of affliction, He brings such wonderful things as the nation of Israel and all of their children. When they, when they left Egypt a couple generations later, they numbered in the millions. It all started with a famine. What do you think about the negative providences in your life? Will you have faith in them? Will you trust in them? Or will you despise them? Become restless? Think that God has somehow forgotten you. He has not. Even in our sin, what we have designed for evil, God has designed for good. Let us trust in the Lord. Let, these, let, this providence, let this story of providence strengthen our hearts and our faith. Let this be one of the ABCs of our theology. Let it be a strong cornerstone, a foundation for us to not distrust the Lord or to lose faith in his providences. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray that you might touch us with this scripture that you might make it one of the foundation stones of our lives, that we would not doubt thee, O Lord, that when we are driven to tears, when we find ourselves so weak that we don't think we can continue on, that we will remember the weakness of Jacob, and the weakness of Joseph, and the weakness of his brothers, and how it all came to pass that Joseph prophesied unto them that God had intended all of this for good. Bless us with faith, O Lord. Bless us with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Was that not a negative providence? Upon negative providence, the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we see that thou didst mean that for good. Also, absolute good. The elect of thy hand came about through that awful negative providence that we see spoken of in Psalm 22. Bless us, O Lord. In thy strength and in thy providences, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.